we're back. Hi, everyone. Sean, give them an appropriate intro. Come on, man. And with the local DBC news, Ed Cool J with a triumphant comeback. More as so But tonight, don't call it a comeback. Everybody. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are the Minimalists. Ryan, how you feeling today? Oh man, I'm feeling I'm feeling all right. I'm like feeling like 90, 95%. I'm just like getting over this little cold I had over the weekend that it's been a long, it's been a two two week weekend. Yeah, man. You've been you've been sick for a while, man. No, you know it's funny. I haven't been sick since we moved to Montana. And I've been sick twice this year. Mm. I don't know what that. Maybe it's like the the tour, the stress of the of the documentary. Maybe you're sick of this election. Maybe I'm sick of the election. Maybe. Which is, which is appropriate because today, when, when this podcast is coming out, is election day, mm. November eighth, twenty sixteen, and we are talking about focus. And so there's all this noise and 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 sort of uh, clutter, non-material clutter, but. Nonetheless, it's clutter all around us and nonstop all the time. And, and so now we we are trying to find ways to stay focused and aware uh, amongst that that noise. Hopefully we can help with that today. Yeah. So today is is episode number 36 of the Minimalist podcast. Have we done 36 episodes already? Really? We, we really have. We've actually wow. done more than that because, as you know, oh, yeah. and, and, and much of the, the audience knows this as well. Yeah, we've we've recorded other episodes, whether it's on the road and there's some duplicate content there, or sometimes we'll record an episode and we just don't feel it, and so we don't publish it. We don't we don't want to waste anyone's time. But welcome back to the podcast. We we are back after and excited to be really back. We we're really excited to be back after this uh, this long break that we've had, and we've been publishing uh, past uh, tour stop. Podcast, so you can go back and listen to those. But we are are back. Our podcast is back, and today we, of course, are going to chat about focus. And our fo- <laughs> we must focus like right now. Uh, our voiced voicemail. Uh, <laughs> our first voicemail question is from Jimmy in Nashville. My question is, how? What chance? Do kids have, and what chance do we have without the kind of education about not just social media, but also the media, and how advertisements are just bombarding us left and right, and what can schools do to kind of make a difference? Jimmy, you're right. We see about 5,000 advertisements a day. That can even be more than that if you're in a, a big city with all these flashing billboards and all this other stuff, but we are constantly bombarded by all of these discrete bits of information, whether it's advertisements or just all the noise that's going on around us, our, our Twitter feed, our Facebook feed, and Instagram, and Snapchat, and, and all of these tools, which, which are exactly that. They are tools. Technology is, is what we make of it, basically. And so when I look at, at someone who is a teenager that, or just a little kid, I know they're far more impressionable and, and have these tools have much more influence over them. The glowing screens have much more influence. I, I think of Ella, my three-year-old, who mm. anytime you place her in front of a glowing screen, she is, is mesmerized. 
And I went about nine years without having a TV at all. And and now anytime I find myself at a at a bar or a place that has a, a TV, I'm thinking of a James Bar. Right? Cause <laughs> I was going to say, like, you go to, to bars? Why haven't you invited me? Yeah, I, I, well, <laughs> I don't drink, so I don't go to those kinds of bars. But I... Um, uh, I, I there's a restaurant here called James Bar and they have, it's like a sports bar but they have they have a good million food. TVs yeah and I have to I have found that especially if I'm if I'm with Becca or and especially if I'm with Becca and Ella and I'm there I have to position myself just right so that there's no glowing screen in sight because otherwise it mesmerizes me mm. and so I think one of the things that we can do is is try to reduce the number of inputs. And mm. so, so be deliberate about the types of inputs we have. Take back control of those 5,000 advertisements. Advertisements aren't inherently bad. I think they inherently suck most of the time. It's the reason we don't do any advertisements on our podcast. It's just jarring if I were to start talking about, hey, you can sleep on this type of mattress or have this sweat-wicking underwear or... How would you like a, a nice shave today and, and sign up for the subscription service? Like we all hear these things, and sometimes those ads can add value to our lives. They can they can educate us about something, but most of the time, it's it, it is a distraction. And and I find that uh, Rob, Rob Bell, a friend of ours, uh, who who has a great podcast called the Robcast, Ryan, he he was recently talking about there's a responsible way to consume the news. Oh, yeah. So, so I found that it, it, the, the thing that really struck a chord with me, I never thought about this before, but when newspapers first started, mm-hmm. it was most likely in a response to an event that happened. Right. So, so for example, let's say uh, World War I was kicking off. I know newspapers obviously existed before World War I, but, but just to use that in- analogy... You know the, or maybe even nine eleven. That that's a great example because it is a a distinct event that all of us felt something about. Right? Mm-hmm. We we had this collective cultural emotional tone that was going on, and so on nine eleven or nine twelve, when all the papers, the front page of the paper has to do with nine eleven. Well, eventually, you know, whether it's nine thirteen or nine fourteen, nine fifteen, you're going to run a different headline. But it still gets the same exact space. You know, it could be that Kim Kardashian gets robbed in Paris, gets the same coverage that 9-11 does mm. just because it's front page above the flap yeah. kind, of, kind of thing. And so it tricks our mind into thinking that all of these things are equally relevant, that Kim Kardashian and 9-11 are equally relevant. And, and I don't think that there's some inherent... Uh, um, evil that you know, newspapers are conspiring to make us all believe that. No, they're a business, and they're trying they're to— They're trying to get more eyes. Yeah, they're trying to aggregate more eyeballs. And so we need to take back control of that aggregation by having by having fewer inputs. It's the reason I don't watch the news. I very rarely will, will you know, check out the news feed because I realize a lot of that is just clutter, mm-hmm. and, and it doesn't necessarily— God, especially on the Internet, so much freaking clickbait. It's yeah, and it doesn't really influence my life unless unless I let it influence my life, right? Amen. No, I, I couldn't agree more, man. Uh, setting boundaries has definitely helped me to uh, lim- limit the intake of advertisements in my life. I remember, let's see, before before minimalism came along, and I was a young corporate lad, a young bigwig. <laughs> um, I uh, God, man, I had like subscriptions to GQ. 
what was the other one? Style. Details. Yeah, Esquire. 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 That's what it was. It was Esquire. Yeah, Esquire and GQ. I don't think I had details. Home um, and Garden. But 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 I would constantly have like CNN running in the background. Um, I don't know why. That's I chose quite CNN. the metaphor, though. Like like news running and like there's always this low level news that is low level breaking for, news too which yeah. is even worse <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it bre- everything is breaking news now yeah it's which crazy literally I mean, they used to like break into I and mean, that's what it meant we're gonna break into this program you're watching three's company or whatever and all of a sudden the news comes <laughs> on because well, you don't watch Three's There's Company. There's a knock stuff. on my door. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be waiting for you. <laughs> God, you. You remember that? That's awesome. Um, I still love that show. So there's so much news, and I feel like we need to to turn that TV yeah, off. Yeah, we, we have to be very deliberate with the news that we take in. Yeah, turning the TV off, uh, not having a TV. I mean, I've got a TV in my house that. Uh, I keep in the closet, and I will bring it also out. Also a metaphor. <laughs> My TV's in the closet. Um, but, yeah, no, I uh, bring it out when we want to watch. Like, maybe I've download, d- downloaded a movie onto my computer, or uh, Mariah's got, like, I don't know, she's got, like, a few DVDs that we've seen a million times, but if we're winding down before bed or something, you know, she'll put on her favorite movie, 10 Things I Hate About You. <laughs> is that a movie? Yeah. Oh, wow. It's actually based off a Shakespeare play, believe it or not. Uh, but anyway, um, but yeah, I mean, just limiting ourselves and limiting the entertainment. Um, when I uh, first started realizing how much noise I was allowing into my life, like I think the first thing I did is I went and canceled like those magazine subscriptions. Those were the worst for me, man, because they were so subtle. Because uh, in a magazine, like you have a choice to look at the ad, right? Like you, you get a little piece of it, but you actually have a choice whether or not you're going to sit there and dig into the ad and actually see what it says. Right. So, you know, for some reason I felt like, uh, magazines were like probably the least intrusive. However, when I started thinking about um, where my desires were coming from, like I'm thinking of, uh, you know, this like Lexus uh, F series, um, uh, ISF is what it was. And and I remember like having this just really, really strong desire to purchase this, you know, $70,000 car oh, wow. and didn't really even think about where it came from. But then uh, I realized I was like, oh wait a minute, that was from that GQ magazine where I first saw that ad, and I sat there and like read the whole thing and like totally seated that you know I'm gonna have to get this seventy thousand dollar car. So um, uh, not just cars, but clothes and watches. And hey, here's our here's our top watch pick of the month. Like mm. you know, I used to have so many watches, man, it's ridiculous. Me too. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it, it was certainly the the worst for me with the magazine. So I cut those out. Um, I eliminated. Uh, you know, my, my satellite TV, um, stop checking the news so much, but, but certainly, um, setting boundaries is, is one of the best ways. Uh, I was going to say too, you know, be the example, Jimmy and you and your, you and your girl. I mean, if you guys want to, uh, help with this, uh, this teaching, you can absolutely do that by just setting a really good example. I mean, whether you have kids or not, um, kids pay attention, whether they're paying attention to their parents, whether they're paying attention to their teachers, whether they're paying attention to their parents, friends, whatever it may be. Kids are very, very good at picking up on subtle things. So, um, what were, what were we saying before the podcast? Be, be the change, be the change that you want to see in the world. That's what it was. I think Sean, I think, I think Sean came up with that on his own. <laughs> uh, I think the last thing that, that I'll talk about here, because you asked about this, Jimmy, you, you said uh, social media life versus real life. Oh, yeah. And, and, and talked about sort of authenticity. The interesting thing about authenticity, it's the one thing that you can't 
fake. You, because by definition, if you're being authentic, you're not being fake. So you can't fake authenticity. But I think social media allows us to also put our best foot forward if we're, if we're using it appropriately. It doesn't mean we don't want to air out all of our dirty laundry, uh, but we do want to curate, curate social media, but it's who we follow and where do we get our, our inputs from and unfollowing things that we don't find value in. And quite often, we encourage people, on, even on our, on our Twitter feed or Instagram or wherever, hey, I don't like what you posted. Okay, I would strongly encourage you to unfollow us if you don't find value. I, you won't hurt my feelings if you're no longer finding value in what we're doing. It's our intention with everything that we do on social media, media to try to add value to other people's lives. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think you can't, there, there isn't mock authenticity. You can't fake being authentic. You're either being authentic or you're not. And it reminds me uh, of an essay that we wrote a while ago. I'm going to read a, a quick excerpt from that. It's called, Please Masturbate in Your Own Room. There is a warning sign in the dorm rooms at Miami University that says, in bold letters, Please Masturbate in Your Own Room. While it's a fairly humorous warning and possibly a, a student prank, This line also seems to be a suitable metaphor for our online world. Of course, it sounds vulgar, but unfortunately, the analogy is apt. Many of us get so caught up in displaying ourselves online that we're willing to do just about anything to get attention. Hey, look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Pay attention to me. As if yelling loud enough will attract and retain a large audience. When shouting in their empty room doesn't work, People often resort to silly stunts and obscene actions, the drunken Facebook pictures, the banal Twitter updates, quote, I'm eating a pancake, Mm. the shirt off in the mirror Instagram photos, the pop-up ads and sleazy marketing, which by the way, let me me just take a a sidestep here. That's another thing that out of all, all the things that drive me the most crazy, billboards tend to drive me pretty crazy. I hate billboards. It's the reason that I hate driving through South Dakota, which seems to be like the billboard capital of, of the world. Uh, eat at Waldrug. Five cent ice cream at Waldrug. I mean, and it gets you too, because I can tell you I've stopped at Waldrug in South Dakota before. <laughs> and, and, but the thing that drives me most crazy are these sleazy pop-up ads. I, I was doing a pod, podcast interview with someone recently, and they were like, well, I, and I've got, you know, they were talking about all this online clutter, and like, and I know that I'm part of it. Like, do you think I shouldn't have pop-up ads on my site? And I'm like, I think you answered your own question there, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. like, is this really enhancing the experience of the person who comes to your website to have a, a pop-up there? Hey, enter your email address for more information. Right. Sign it's up like, for our newsletter. Have I ever went to a site and said, I really wish... They'd give me a pop-up so I could do something with that pop-up. Never. I've never even considered it. I just know that I'm annoyed by it, especially if I'm trying to read something and then all of a sudden there's this, this pop-up. Now, it's not me telling anyone that you can't do a pop-up ad. I, I'm just saying that I, does it really add value to an audience? I don't think so. I think there's a better way to gain someone's trust other than the, the sleazy pop-up ads and sleazy marketing. Uh, the superfluous cursing and blog posts, all of which is tantamount to public masturbation. People do these things because it gives them instant gratification. Someone might, quote, like a picture of them inebriated and passed out on the arm of a couch. Someone might retweet their silly tweets. Someone might comment on their obnoxious blog post. That modicum of attention, albeit negative attention, can be addictive. And so they feel compelled to do more of the same, upping the gratuitousness threshold each time. The problem is that 
this doesn't work. Not in the long term, anyway. It never does. Sure, yelling out loud will attract scads of newcomers. We can't help but slow down and look at the wreckage. But we will never stick around to admire the post-accident cleanup. Similarly, someone's public indecency might draw some initial attention, but they will be left feeling empty and alone when the people leave the scene of the accident and never return. Like masturbating, some activities are private activities, and they aren't meant for public consumption, be it online or in the physical world. This is one of the reasons the two of us don't write about our personal, intimate relationships online. That stuff is private. Moreover, it wouldn't serve the greater good. And since our focus here is to contribute to people in meaningful ways, to show people how to live a meaningful life, we needn't tell every personal detail of our stories. Thus, we show you our personal lives, up close and very personal at times, but we make an attempt to leave out the stuff that does not add value to your lives or serve the greater good, which means, we hope, we show you the applicable parts, the humorous parts, the aspects that have changed our lives in hopes that those same things can change yours. We want to make a difference in the lives of our readers, to engage them in thoughtful conversation, and that is why we write here, not to show you our private parts. Uh, we'll put a link to that essay in the show notes to this episode. And Jimmy, I would love to send you a copy of our book, Essential Essays, which is a collection of 150 essays, because there's, there's, there's 12 chapters in there. One of the chapters is about technology and using technology responsibly. And uh, we'll either send you an ebook copy or an audiobook version of that. We have a new audiobook version by Justin Mollick, which is now on iTunes and Audible and Amazon. Or if you want a print version of that book, we'll, we'll send that to you as well. Jimmy, we'll send you one of those three. Sean will reach out to you and, and, and get that taken care of. Our next voicemail is from Penny in Cincinnati. Do you all find that minimalism has helped you kind of pare down your thoughts? to really just get down to meaningful things and focus on the task at hand? And um, if so, what have you found to be the best ways to you know, not only just be, um, I guess, minimal in the physical sense and really just find value in things just, um, that we see or can touch, but also in your mind and thoughts and just thinking about things and living a meaningful life that way. Ryan, thoughts on thoughts. My thoughts, thoughts? on thoughts. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on thoughts. No, uh, meditation, we've talked about so much. I mean, if you are someone who has a very busy mind, meditate. Um, I don't know if you're meditating now, Penny, but that would be like my first recommendation is, you know, go get the 10% Happier app, go get the Calm app, go get the whatever app that you choose is going to be best for you. What's another one, Josh? Let's round it out with Headspace app, or or you can go to theminimalist.com slash Sam. We did an interview with Sam Harris, and he has uh, two free guided meditations to get you started. Yeah, I mean, whatever it takes, whatever whatever it takes for you to just start implementing that practice into your life, even if it's just five minutes a day. No, it is not going to be this like magic bullet answer, but I guarantee you that your mind will be quieter. And if it's not quieter on the first day, that's okay. Give it a week. It's, it, it's going to take some time, but meditation certainly does help. Um, you know, she, what did she ask? Does minimalism help eliminate the noise? God, I wish that we could write an essay like become a minimalist and your head will be quiet for the rest of your life. <laughs> it just doesn't work that way, unfortunately. Um, it's, a, uh, it's a work in progress. 
Uh, minimalism for me, yes, it does help quiet the noise, but not in the sense of like now I have just, you know, this clear space in my head as much as I have been able uh, through the practices of minimalism to eliminate a lot of the noise, a lot of the superfluous thoughts out of my mind so I can focus on what is important. I guess the only thing I would add to is uh, there is this, uh, in our documentary, there's a scene where Dan Harris is talking about uh, the, the value of worry and about going to, you know, you're going to catch a flight and you have to be uh, very aware that there is a time crunch. You have to, you have to be aware that yes, there is a time I have to be at the airport. I don't want to be late, and um, you know, it doesn't matter when I leave for the airport. I'm always like worried I'm going to be late, and the airport's like ten minutes away from us. Like, right. there's no highway to get on. I mean, but still, like, I will always stress about like, oh man, I hope I make this plane. You know, what if the line's long when I get there? But uh, what Dan Harris talks about in our documentary is there's a certain level of worry uh, that is helpful, but then there's this level of worry. Um, that really becomes just this uh, useless rumination. So a lot of the times when I have those busy thoughts in my head, I will ask myself, like, are these busy thoughts, are they worth my time to focus on? Should I, uh, you know, write these down and think about them? Or is this just a form of useless rumination? I know that has helped me clear a lot of my uh, superfluous thoughts too. Yeah, I think those three words, is it useful, it becomes useful for me because it makes me realize that many of the thoughts, these ruminations I have, that they aren't serving a purpose in my life other than to clutter up my mind. And if you've ever tried to meditate, you realize how impossible it is to not think about anything. That's mo- Most people who do mindfulness meditation will tell you that's not the point of, of mind- mindfulness meditation. You're not going to clear out the thoughts in your head, but you're, not, you're no longer going to be a slave to those, mm. to those thoughts. You're going to watch them pass and, and sort of float off into the ether. But, the, of course, the next thought is always going to come in. The same thing that I told Jimmy, I, I would say here is applicable. Try to have fewer inputs going on around you. And that might mean have scheduling alone time, whether that's to meditate or what Colin, uh, our friend Colin would call 20 minutes of awesome, where you just spend 20 minutes laying there, uh, letting your, your thoughts tumble and, and sort of organize themselves in a way, or doing a, a more formal uh, mindfulness or, or meditation or, or maybe a TM meditation, something like that. Uh, but on top of that, I, I, I look at clearing the, the inside. I start with the outside, actually. I think our material possessions are a physical manifestation of what's going on inside us. And so if we, ha- we have a cluttered exterior with all this stuff strewn everywhere, then we often have a lot of stuff, internal stuff strewn everywhere inside. And by dealing with the, the superfluous clutter on the outside, we're able to start dealing with this internal clutter, this mental clutter, this emotional clutter that's going on inside. And so I think often a, a good first step is making sure we, we've dealt with, with the material things in our life to, to an extent that we're able to look inward and start to be, be more aware. Another thing you might want to try, I don't know if they have these in Cincinnati yet, but float tanks is a great way to, to turn down the volume by turning up the volume. And, and here's what I mean by that. First time I did a float tank, I got in there, and it's sensory deprivation, right? So you can just Google float tanks and and in your city, see if you can find it. But I, it's, it's sensory deprivation. It's completely black. You're in water that is 94 degrees, same temperature as your skin, so you can't feel anything. You're very buoyant because there's 1,500 pounds of Epsom salt, so it's very salty water, and so you're just going to float there. It's com- 
it's pitch black. It's soundless. It, it, there's just no senses. You can't simulate any senses. And what happens when you turn everything else in the outside world down completely? Man, it turns up those thoughts. I felt like I was, had instantly cranked up the, the volume on my mind. And it allows you, through that hour that you're sitting there, to start to slowly turn the volume down. And, and you realize that you can regain control of what's going on inside. So it's a great way to, to meditate as well. I would, I would definitely try that out just as, as an experiment. I feel like I still need to get good at floating. Because like every time I float now, like I don't really turn it down until about like I have 10 minutes less mm. le- left or like five minutes left or something. It takes me forever. But, uh, but yeah, I'm only throwing that caveat out there for anyone who tries a float take and they're like, I couldn't get my mind to get quiet at all the whole time. Don't feel bad. It's, it's one of those things you have to practice. Yeah. And so my response to that would be good. I'm, I'm glad yeah. you couldn't do it because you, now you get to really realize the problem. It's so freaking loud. I didn't realize how loud my mind was and how unfocused I was until I removed all of those external sort of pacifiers. And I think a, a big, a big part of that is, is about being busy. We're so busy now. We have all these inputs. We're also, we're choosing to have all these inputs and they're dictating how our life is. And so in our book, Essential, there's an essay that is called Not Busy, Focused. And it's one of my favorite things. I just want to read a quick excerpt from that as well. Take a look around. Everyone is multitasking. We're doing more than we've ever done, attempting to fill every interstitial zone with more work Every downtown scene is the same, heads tilted downward, faces lost in glowing screens, technology turning people into zombies. We live in a busy world, one in which our value is often measured in productivity, efficiency, work rate, output, yield, getting things done, the rat race. We're inundated with meetings and spreadsheets and status updates and rush hour traffic and tweets and conference calls and travel time and text messages and reports and voicemails and multitasking and all the trappings of a busy life. Go, go, go. Busy, busy, busy. Americans are working more hours than ever, but we're actually earning less money. Busy has become the new norm. If you're not busy, especially in today's workplace, you're often thought of as lazy, unproductive, inefficient, a waste of space. For me, busy is a curse word. I grimace whenever someone accuses me of being busy. My facial features contort and I writhe in mock pain. I respond to this accusation the same way each time. I'm not busy. I'm focused. Henry David Thoreau said, It's not enough to be busy. The question is, what are you busy about? And if I were to append his quandary, I'd say, it's not enough to be busy. The question is, what are you focused on? There is a vast difference between being busy and being focused. The former involves the typical tropes of productivity. Anything to keep our hands moving, to keep going, to keep the conveyor belt in motion. It is no coincidence that we refer to mundane tasks as, quote, busy work. Busy work works well for factories, robots, and fascism, but not so great for anyone who's attempting to do something worthwhile with their waking hours. Being focused, on the other hand, involves attention, awareness, and intentionality. People sometimes mistake my focus time for busyness because complete focus apes many of the surface characteristics as busy. Namely, the majority of my time is occupied. The difference, then, is 
that I don't commit to a lot of things, but the tasks and people I commit to receive my full attention. Being focused doesn't allow me to get as much accomplished as being busy. Thus, the total number of tasks I complete has gone down over the years, although the significance of each undertaking has gone up, way up. This year, I'll do only a few things, but those efforts will receive all of me. This might not look as good on a pie chart next to everyone else who is tallying their productivity metrics, but it certainly feels better than being busy just for the sake of being busy. Sure, sometimes I slip. Sometimes I fall back into the busy trap that has engulfed our culture. When I do, I make an effort to notice my slip-up, and then I course-correct until I'm once again focused on only the worthwhile aspects of life. It's a constant battle, but it's one worth fighting. You know, now we're going to get a bunch of tweets from robots who are claiming that they're not fascists. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Not all robots are fascists, okay? And and so I really think it comes down to our most precious resource here, Ryan, is is our attention, right? Amen. What am I I giving my attention to? And, And that is what busyness is. Busyness is letting someone else dictate how our day goes, whether it's getting these incessant email streams or mm-hmm. Facebook stream or whatever it may be, letting someone else dictate your day, di- dictate your day gives you endless hours of, of busy. Mm-hmm. And the way to, to regain control is to be focused on what you prioritize, what you want to focus on. And so, Penny, I'd love to give you – Ryan mentioned the documentary. I'd love to give you a copy uh, of the film. So our film is called Minimalism, a documentary about the important things – and uh, either we'll give you a digital copy with all – there's six hours of bonus content there online, and, uh, or, or we can give you a DVD. The, the DVD is out now as well. So I'll have Sean reach out to you, Penny, and we'll make sure that you are able to see that because there's a lot of uh, – there's a whole section on, on mindfulness in there with Sam Harris and with Dan Harris and some other folks as well. Our next voicemail is from Brian. I'm wondering if uh, if pacifiers are ever okay, or if if something that you even identify as a pacifier to begin with, if you should just eliminate it. Um, so my personal example is video games, and I I really enjoy video games, but I realized that they're they're a time uh, time hog, or just way too much time I'm spending on video games. Ryan, are pacifiers ever okay? Yes. Next caller. (laughs) (laughs) No, I totally think they're okay. I mean, anything in moderation is fine. Um, It's funny, he talked about video games. Uh, I had to cut video games out because I could not, I cannot play video games in moderation. Like, the games that I play, um, typically, like, uh, on Call of Duty, there was, like, this zombie mode that you could play. And, like, you team up with people around the world. And, like, I had friends, but like, in quotes, I had friends, like, I would play with and meet up with at, you know, 9 o'clock at night. And then we'd start playing this one zombie mode game. And those games, seriously, I think the longest I was ever in one game. This isn't like, oh, I was playing this long. It was one game. It took uh, seven hours for one game. It went from, like, 9 p.m. until, you know, 4 in the morning or something. It was crazy. And like when I get done doing, when I would get done doing something like that, it was a miserable feeling. It was like this, you know, first off, like so much stimulation hitting my eyes and brain. Like it was hard for me to even like lay my head down at night because all I can hear are like zombies chasing me and, you know, people trying to kill me and stuff. 
uh, but but uh, when I tried to limit myself to just playing video games for maybe you know an hour or two a week or something, it's something that um, I just very very easily would would lose control over. I'm not saying that video games are inherently bad, but they are bad for me because I I can't do them in moderation. Uh, something I have been able to cut back on, like I think alcohol is a huge pacifier for me. Like it is a very very easy thing for me to get caught up in. Social lubrication kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Or, um, you know, you're having a, a stressful day and it's just like an easy thing to grab and be like, oh, well, I'm just going to have a couple drinks. And uh, I, used, I used to do that a lot. And now, um, you know, I have, I have set limits around alcohol. I, I don't bring it into my house hardly, hardly ever. Uh, it was Mariah's birthday on Tuesday and um, she had bought some bottles of wine. That's the first time we brought alcohol back to the house. I can't even tell you the last time we had alcohol in, in our, in our place. Um, but, but my point is, is that no pacifiers are not, you know, this thing that everyone, everyone should cut out hundred percent of the pacifiers. I think we, we need to let loose. I think we need, uh, some distractions in our life, but yes, uh, uh, Brian, if you're letting video games, um, dictate the majority of your time and you are giving up more important things in life, uh, uh, than, than video games, then yeah, I would highly recommend you either, yes, limit yourself to how much you can play and try to maybe be a little bit more moderate. If you can't do that, then yeah, man, cut it out. Yeah. I don't think minimalism is about deprivation, but I found a lot of value in temporarily depriving myself of, of some stuff or, or from activities to see whether or not I actually get value from it. When I, when I got rid of my TV nine years ago, I realized that I hadn't, I, I didn't find as much value in it as I thought. It was a pacifier for me. I would turn it on, and it would just sort of be on, like, the fireplace in the background. Like what you were talking about earlier with the CNN thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I wasn't being deliberate with the way I used it. Or when I got rid of my, my cell phone for two months, just as a test, I brought it back into my life and used it more deliberately. I don't have Facebook on my phone. I don't have email on my phone. But I use it for phone calls, and I use it for yeah, – not as a pacifier anymore. But even even now, if I catch myself – Going, I will constantly move my apps around. I have an Instagram app on my phone. I constantly move it so that I I, I can't program myself to to instantly like pick up the phone on default. Go to it. Yeah. open it up. And I'll quite often move my my Kindle app wherever my my uh, Twitter or Instagram app is, so that I will instead of going to those, I'll instantly go to Kindle. And so, really, what I'm talking about here is. Not just getting rid of the pacifier, that's one thing, but, but replacing the pacifier with something else, whether it's getting rid of the video games and, and now uh, replacing it with, with something you find more meaningful, like books yeah. or writing or snowboarding, some activity that, that you, you feel uh, you're going to get more value from than just the video games. Maybe it's even just meditating. And like Ryan said, if you can do it in moderation, I found the best way for me to do things in moderation is to schedule them out in advance. So I will, I will often schedule, you'll, you'll look at my calendar and it's like, well, I'm going to watch television from 8 p.m. until 9 p.m. And then, you know, I know it's, it's like a new kind of appointment television. Before, the appointment television was like, hey, Friends comes on at, I don't know, I've never watched Friends, but, like, I assume it came on at one night a week or something on HBO or, or whatever. There's a knock on my door. <laughs> oh, wait, that's a different show. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everyone, Three's Company's coming on Tuesday at 7 o'clock, and we'd, like, we'd all watch. But now, like, you have... You have infinite choices with with television or whatever, and so instead of just sitting down, turning on, seeing what's out there, pre pre schedule that time 
and, and that way you have just a set amount of time and you can look forward to it. But once it's over, it's over, and then you move on to whatever you're going I to do I think that's a great next. point, man. Like using it as a reward. Yes. So like video games, I mean, maybe maybe that's what you try to do, Brian. Like, you know, write down what are the things that you are missing out on when you play video games and uh, do those things. And once those things are complete, then great. You've got time to play some video games and you can reward yourself with it. But yeah, man, don't let it uh, don't let it get in the way of your priorities. That is the that is the worst thing that you can do. Yeah, I would, I would really ask yourself, do you find any real meaning in those pacifiers? So you, you said you have your You can easily identify your pacifiers. Write those out. And some of them you may get meaning from. And that doesn't mean you can't temporarily deprive yourself of it, let it go for a month or whatever. And, in fact, that's what I would probably try with the video game thing because that seemed to be your your biggest uh, sticking point was – just let, let go of the video games for a month and see how that changed your life. But then figure out what you're going to replace it with. And, and if they don't truly add 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 value, if they don't serve a purpose or bring you joy, then then be willing to let go of it altogether and replace it with with something that you will get something more out of for sure. And and you know I think we could all use accountability partners or, or people to help us through the process. Ryan, you, you've got a whole team of of mentors. Would you be willing to give him an hour session with with one of your mentors? Absolutely. Yeah, uh, actually, Brian, um, I'm going to give you a free hour with a guy named Josh Wagner. He is an amazing writer. Um, He is traveling the world right now. He's moving about every, it's like every 90 days because of the passport and uh, the visa visa expiration stuff. So my point is, is that this gentleman is someone who I really respect his work. And uh, I know that he works really, really hard. And I know that he has a lot of uh, pacifiers that he could absolutely run off with and distract him from what uh, is important to him. But he does a great job of maintaining uh, a work level and uh, a good personal life, uh, you know, with keeping up good relationships, so forth and so on. He would be a great mentor to you to kind of help you. Uh, uh, prioritize a little bit better and to cut out some of those pacifiers. And what I think is really cool about that, so Ryan, you are a mentor and you, you take on like five new mentoring clients a month, but but then you also have a team of mentors who are really your mentors that right. you just refer other people to for, for different things. So whether it's Carl, who has run multi-billion dollar businesses, mm-hmm. or, or uh, Josh, who, who is uh, great with writing, you, you, have, you have a bunch of different people who who have helped you with different aspects of, of, of your life, and you're able to refer them off as well. So if anyone else is interested in mentoring, it's just uh, theminimalists.com slash mentors, and we can put that in the show notes as well. So Brian, I hope you find some value in your mentoring session with Josh Wagner. Our next voicemail is from Sarah in Washington, D.C. How do you maintain the minimalist lifestyle? I feel like I get on, um, I start with my, minimalist mentality and I clear everything out and I throw away all the stuff that don't bring value to me anymore but somehow a few weeks later it just all piles back up again so do you have any tips on trying to maintain minimalism throughout your everyday process and not accumulate so many things again Sarah wants to know how do you maintain a minimalist lifestyle I think it's it's kind of like going to the gym you don't go to the gym one time Work out really, really hard and say, okay, now I'm fit for the rest of my life. Uh, minimalism is the same way. You don't like get rid of all your stuff and then say, well, all of a sudden now I'm a minimalist and everything is fine. No, it, it's, it's more like 
Uh, another analogy I would use is, is a car. If you have a car, you have to put gas in it. You have to change the oil. And, of course, there's regularly scheduled maintenance. And then sometimes something just breaks. A tire blows out. You have some sort of emergency that happens. And, and maintaining a minimalist lifestyle or just life in general requires life maintenance. Mm. And, and so being willing to, to constantly reassess where you are and, and, and question the things that you have in your life and the things you're bringing into your life as well. So it starts with letting go of, of the stuff, but then as we're bringing new things in, uh, new material possessions in, we have to ask, is this, gonna, is this going to add value to my life? But then that bleeds over into all these other areas of, of life as well, w- whether it's your relationships or your career. D- does this align with my values? And what do I mean by that? Well, your values are just the person you want to be in, in some hypothetical future, right? And so if, if are you striving to be the best version of yourself? Those are what your values are. Ryan and I wrote about this in our first book, Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life, where, where we uncovered our five higher order values, health, relationships, passion, growth, contribution. And, and I want to make sure that I'm aligning my short-term actions with those values. So is what I'm doing right now serving those mm. values? If, and if not, I just have to correct it. You're not going to be perfect. Uh, the, the analogy that um, the guy who wrote Essentialism, Greg McEwen, I think his name is, mm-hmm. um, he, he talks about if you're flying from New York to San Francisco, the plane is, is off course 90% of the time. And it's just that other 10% of the time, it's constantly course correcting to get get you back toward your destination. And so you're going to get off course a lot, Sarah. And I think what's important to realize is what gets you to where you want to be isn't the fact that you're off course. It's the course correction and getting yourself back on course. And the best way you're going to do that is, is by asking more questions. Who's the person I want to become? Does this add value to my life? What is my own definition of success? And, and then being willing to, to make changes based on the answers you get to those difficult questions. Yeah, I, I would also encourage you to, I mean, just take a look at your habits. Um, the first thing that comes to mind, because I think, first off, there are so many different ways that people can be come, uh, you know, get off course uh, when it comes to a minimalist lifestyle. Um, and you just mentioned a lot of different ways, whether it's relationships or whether it's health. I mean, there's a lot of different things that people can vary on. Uh, Sarah specifically, um, at the end of her voicemail there, talked about papers. So, like, look at your look at your rules around papers. Do you have any rules around the papers that you uh, hang on to that you bring into your life? Like, I'll, I'll tell you my rule uh, when it comes to like business cards. I refuse. I will not have a business card Rolodex. Uh, I, those days are over for me. Um, I will not hold on to a physical business card. And for some reason, I st- like people always give me business cards. But sometimes it's legitimate. It's like, okay, I do want to get a hold of this person later. Um, but that doesn't mean that I have to hold on to that business card and go file it in my uh, Rolodex. I will snap a picture of it, and then I toss the business card. I throw it away. Yeah. There are a bunch of apps for that now, too. So you can also use technology yeah. to help keep you more organized in that respect. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, t- take a look at the rules that you have now. I mean, like I said, you you were uh, mentioning a, that you have an issue with uh, wanting to hold on to a paper or make a copy of a paper just in case. You know, I bet you, I bet you a million bucks, Sarah, that you could eliminate ninety nine point nine percent of the paper that you hold on to if you uh, if you got a scanner. You could scan uh, them, even like your tax documents. Uh, you can scan those. Um, like I don't have a hard copy of uh, my two thousand and fifteen taxes. Like I have an electronic copy of it. Uh, my accountant probably has a hard copy of it. 
But I mean, even something as important as tax paperwork that you should hold on to. I mean, you got to have those records for what, six years? Is that what they say? Seven, I think. Seven years. So, I mean, you got to have that stuff, but that doesn't mean that you have to have a physical copy of it. So uh, take a close look at what your rules are and adjust accordingly. And you can do a, a scanning party. You can see the the scanner that, that Ryan and I used uh, for scanning a bunch of our old photos and documents over at theminimalists.com slash scanning. That'll help with a lot of the, the paper clutter. And I think Ryan's right. I think you have to set up some rules for yourself, especially at first, because rules are just boundaries, basically, right? Mm-hmm. And so whether it's the 90-90 rule, have I used this in the last 90 days? Am I going to use this in the next 90 days? If not, give yourself permission to let go of it. Or, or maybe it's the just-in-case rule. I can replace this item I'm holding on to just-in-case for less than $20 in less than 20 minutes from wherever I am. And that rule has worked uh, 100% of the time for, for Ryan and myself. And we've had to use it only five times in the last six years. And so it means that it gives you permission to let go of tens of thousands of just-in-case items so that it, occasionally you might have to replace one or two a year. But, but that gives you permission to let go. So really what these rules do is they give you permission to get this excess out of the way which also gives you permission to start focusing on that person that you want to become. If you want to see some of the rules that Ryan and I wrote about in our book, Everything That Remains, Sarah, I'm going to give you a, a copy of that book. It's on, uh, it's either an ebook or a print book. We also have a new audiobook version coming soon. There's an old audiobook version out there right now. Uh, so we'll, we'll send you any of, of those that you'd like, Sarah. Hopefully you'll find uh, some value in that. Chapter 8 is a chapter called Clarity, and it's some of the rules that I set up as I was going through this minimalist transition to help me be more effective and more focused on living a more meaningful life. Our last voicemail question is from Michael in Denver. The question I've got is, you know, you guys have this really successful blog. You have a top 10 podcast. A movie coming out, you have a share in a coffee shop and a publishing company. So my question is, how do you guys stay grounded? How do you keep things simple um, in the face of this kind of burgeoning mini minimalist empire? Josh, how do you stay grounded when we have such a large empire? <laughs> Michael, I'm I'm really insulted by this question. You forgot about our wildly successful books. My writing class that has helped thousands of people learn how to write better. You forgot about our our two TEDx talks, which have been seen by millions of people. And um, what else is he? Oh, the speaking gigs. We we often speak at universities. Didn't even talk about my mentoring. He didn't. I mean, you're forgetting about all of these things that are really important to us. No, um, in in all seriousness, Michael. So so you're saying you you guys have a blog, you have a podcast, you have a documentary, you have a coffee shop in St. Petersburg, Florida, called Bandit Coffee. Uh, you go on these large tours sometimes. You have a, a publishing company. You've written books, uh, writing class, whatever it may be. And, and the question is, well, I think, Ryan, you were saying earlier before we were recording, there are two separate questions here, right? Like, mm. how do you maintain that? But then also, how do you stay, stay grounded in, yeah. in, in, in knowing that you're, you, you're doing all of these things? And, and I think we can go back to that, that busy essay that I wrote from earlier. I'm not going to reread it to you, but realizing that I, these are the things that we're focused on. And so I put up a, a post on Instagram, on our Instagram account, at The Minimalists, and uh, it talked about the last four years since Ryan and I moved out to, to Montana. And I just want to read a quick excerpt from that. You never know where you might end up. Four years ago today, less than two years after starting our blog, 
we move from our hometown, Dayton, Ohio, to a cabin on the side of a mountain in rural Montana for four months to write the first draft of our book, Everything That Remains. It was so beautiful that we ended up staying in Montana for a spell. Much has happened these past four years. In 2013, we moved from the cabin to the big, quote, city, Missoula, Montana, population 67,000, to start Asymmetrical Press, a publishing house for the indie at heart with our friend Colin Wright and a gang of talented authors. Uh, you got Sean Mahalik and uh, Robin Devine and Josh Wagner and Chase Knight and others. Um, and we worked on several international speaking tours, including our 2014 100-city, eight-country excursion. And we had some help from our, our friend Sarah, who handled a lot of the, the PR for that tour. In uh, 2015, we focused on contribution. We partnered with uh, a bunch of different nonprofits, including Misfit Inc. and The Hope Effect and a handful of other charities to build schools, to build clean water wells and orphanages across the globe. And we published an essay collection in 2015 called Essential, uh, as well as significantly updated a version of our first book, Minimalism. In early 2016, we opened a coffee house, which is called Bandit Coffee Co., with our friends, uh, husband and wife duo Joshua Weaver and, and Sarah Weaver, uh, a few months before the theatrical release of our, fe our feature-length documentary, Minimalism, which was directed by our friend Matt Diavella. And then in parentheses there, it says hashtag Italian Stallion. <laughs> uh, uh, we produced that in conjunction with our friends over at Spire Media, who I, I've often called the Mozarts of web design. Uh, they, they help out with a lot of our, our web projects as well. Uh, and we've done much, much more, including 100 free local meetup groups at minimalist.org, which Michael forgot to mention, the free local meetup groups at minimalist.org. <laughs> And, uh, of course, our, our podcast, which Michael did mention, which is produced by our, our, our friend, podcast Sean, Sean Harding, uh, and music by Peter Doran. So he does our, our, our theme song for that. And most importantly, we, we've both found uh, partners. We've, we've fallen in love, whether it's, it's Becca or, or Mariah. And we, we continue to focus on our core values, health, relationships, creativity, growth, contribution, but of course, it hasn't all been ponies and rainbows along the way. We've experienced failure, loss, frustration, breakups, heartbreak, arguments, and many struggles along the way. However, it's important to note that while life is far from perfect, we've traded our old, vapid problems, problems like consumerism, debt, corporatism, and discontent, for newer, better problems, letting go of the past to make room for what's on the horizon. We never planned on most of what has transpired. We, we never developed a business strategy or a five-year plan or a vision like that. Uh, doing so would have overwhelmed us, and we likely wouldn't have accomplished much of what we have accomplished uh, had we ruminated endlessly about long-term goals. Instead, we tend to focus on one or two main projects a year. And this is really where I was trying to get, Ryan, is, is we, we focus, and I went through those projects there, we, we focus on one or two main projects a year, keeping an eye on the horizon, not worrying about what lies beyond it. And everything we do must serve those endeavors. If it doesn't, then we say no. Not for the sake of, of just saying no, but so we can say yes to that which is most important. As you can see from all the names above, as well as countless others who have contributed to our projects or, or shared our message, it has been a team effort. 
Uh, we certainly couldn't have done it on our own, nor would we want to. The minimalists are more than just a couple guys from the Midwest. It takes the chemistry and creativity and shared ideals of the whole group to create a movement. And so really, I, th- I think that's the takeaway for me is it seems like a lot, but when you break it down into its little chunks, it doesn't feel like a lot at all. In fact, we, we tend to have downtime, and I will force myself to, uh, intentionally to not work because I, I can very easily fall into the workaholic status that, that I had trained myself to be in the corporate world, working 80 hours a week. But I, I want to stay focused on one thing a year, and everything we do, whether it's a podcast interview or going on a TV show or a tour, it serves that thing that we're trying to get out into the world. And so our podcast helps with that. The publishing company that we have helps us publish our own books so we don't have to wait uh, for gatekeepers. Um, Our documentary was a new way to communicate with people. My writing class is a way for me to add value to people's lives because I get so many questions about writing. And so instead of of constantly just answering the same question again and again, I, I teach a writing class online. And so these are ways... That, that allow me to stay to stay focused without being busy. I still say no to the vast majority of the things I want to do. Yeah, and it's funny too because like you could look at you know this this minimalist empire that we have built. I love how he uses that phrase. That's hilarious. <laughs> I've never really thought of it as an empire. Um, but uh, but you know you could look at all the things that we do and very easily wonder like, wow, how in the world uh, do these did these guys uh, implement so many things? And I think it's important to discern that we didn't do this all at once. It's not like when we started the website uh, back in 2010, you know, we, we didn't have, uh, like Josh said earlier, we didn't have a business plan of, oh, okay, well, first we're going to write books. Uh, then um, once we have sold enough books, we're going to uh, uh, introduce a writing class and then mentoring. And then once we have that under our hats, uh, we're going to uh, come out with a documentary and then we're going to do podcasts. Um, it didn't work that way. Uh, we we built on things slowly. And you know what? Um, we wouldn't have added anything on our plate uh, that we wouldn't be able to take on. And you know what? Sometimes we've done that. Uh, we did that earlier this year, uh, you know, kind of mistakenly with the podcast where we had to step away from it for a while. And that's the other thing, too. We're willing to walk away from anything that we put on our plate um, if it gets in the way of the uh, overall uh, direction that the minimalists are heading. So, we're constantly asking each other that too. How, yeah. do I, how do I simplify? What can we let go of? Is there anything that's in the way? Is there debris here? And Ryan and I meet quite frequently and have these have these discussions. And so the other question he asked was about being grounded, right? Mm. And, and I think one of the ways that helps me be grounded is a having Ryan here and having surrounding myself with people I trust, so, so that I, I know that I get good feedback as opposed to invalid, vapid criticism from you know, Twitter eggs or whatever, uh, I, I've learned that that surrounding myself with people who are willing to give me feedback and push back sometimes, but also encourage when it's appropriate. I, I feel very supportive by, by you and by, by the other people in my life. And, and it doesn't mean that I surround myself with yes men and yes women. It's the opposite of that. I, I surround myself with people whose opinions I, I trust and, and know they have my best interests in, in, in mind. And so, so staying grounded, the other, the other thing that I do is I realize that I'm a servant. And the reason that we do all of this stuff is to add value to other people's lives. Money is never the primary driver for doing whatever we do. Sure, we, we need to make a living. And it's great that we are able to diversify our income these different ways. Because the, the interesting thing is I don't think there's any one particular way that we would make our, our living 
uh, from doing this. We, we, you know, we sell some books or we have a coffee shop or, or we do you know, live speaking gigs or, or, or whatever, but we, we don't have one particular stream of, of income that is like, well, here's the thing that I'm going to live off of. No, we do a bunch of different things that add value. And if you add enough value to the world, it, you, you tend to not have to worry as much about money, especially if you've radically reduced your sp- expenses by becoming a minimalist. All right, everybody, we'd love to hear what you have to say. So if you have a comment about focus, including minimalism tips for how you stay focused or avoid busy work, then leave us a voicemail at 406-219-7839. We'll air our favorite comments and tips on the next episode. We're also looking for questions about gift giving and the holidays for future episodes. So feel free to call in with holiday questions or gift giving questions so we can answer them for you. Okay. Let's move on to our hashtag Ask the Minimalists lightning round, where we answer questions from social media. Indeed, we, we are on Twitter and Instagram, at The Minimalists, and Facebook.com slash The Minimalists, and we're going to try something a little bit different with these lightning round questions going forward, uh, starting today. We're each going to answer uh, each of these questions with one short, shareable, less than 140 character response. So it'll be true lightning round questions. And we'll put the text of those responses in the show notes so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you'd like. All right. Our first question is from Clarchy. I'm very curious about your social media routines. How do you manage to use your socials so well without losing focus? Uh, Clergy, I'll tell you what I do. I check social media once a day. That's it. Here's the question I ask myself. Does this message serve the greater good? If not, delete before sending. Preach. What's our next question? Next question is from Lee. Focusing on one task and doing it well is often looked down on, and multitasking is seen as superior. Where do you stand on this? Well, Lee... There's a little bit of a problem with your question because there is no such thing as multitasking. You know, if I were to add to that, Ryan, here's what I would say. There's only single tasking or single tasking plus noise. Amen. Next question. Next question comes from Ed. When you set goals, how far out do you set them? How often do you review your goals? When do you decide to change or kill a goal and replace What is your filter? Oh, my God, Ed. First off, your question stresses me the heck out, man. Uh, Second, I don't have goals. If I don't need a goal, then I don't have it. And what I would say is instead of goals, I prefer to have a direction in which I travel. If you're searching for a sunrise, head east. For a sunset, west. And that's just under 140 characters, so you can tweet that if you want. (laughs) Our next question comes from Shelly. I'm looking for tips on how to keep focused when I'm trying to declutter and still go about everyday life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you two recommendations, Shelly. First, if you don't meditate, meditate. Five minutes a day. Try it out. Second thing is, is take small steps. Don't try to do it all at once. Uh, for me, I would say first, identify your ideal life. Then shed that which does not serve your vision. That was much more pithier than my answer. (laughs) 
All right, our last question comes from Natural Grocers. Dude, we've hit a big. Natural Grocers tweeted at us. Yeah, we, we, They're asking us for advice. We shop at their store, so maybe, I don't know. Is this a sponsored tweet? <laughs> I don't know, is it? It's not a sponsor of ours. All right. So, Ryan, what is Natural Grocers? What, what do they want to know? Uh, they asked us, how do nutrition choices affect focus in your life? Well, for me, what do you like to, yeah, what do you like to eat? So, no, for me. No, for you. No, for me. No, I'll just really, really simply put, if I eat crap, then I feel like crap. Yeah, but what I'll say is eat real foods, no sugar, nothing processed, reduce carbs, treat food as nourishment, not entertainment. Okay. Now it's time for our added value portion of the show. This is where we each get to recommend something that has added value to our lives recently. I'm going to cheat a little bit here. I just did, I've done a bunch of, Ryan and I both have done a bunch of podcast interviews because our documentary just came out um, online in a bunch of different places. So we've done a bunch of media interviews, but also a bunch of podcast interviews as well. My favorite conversation I've had so far was with a guy named Rich Roll. I really like his podcast, but... I felt like it was a really sincere conversation, almost a couple hours long. He met me at an Airbnb out in West Hollywood, and we just sat down and we talked. And man, he brought his like home studio equipment with him, and we had a really sincere conversation. He got me to talk about some stuff that I've never really talked about in an interview before. So if you want to check that out, we'll put a link to it in the show notes. Uh, it's just called the Rich Roll Podcast. I don't know why, but I really want to make a joke about you meeting this guy at an Airbnb in West Hollywood. <laughs> Having a very intimate moment. <laughs> I'd probably edit that out. <laughs> <clears throat> yes, that was a great interview, man. I totally agree. That was awesome. Um, I'm going to recommend, actually, I'm going to recommend what you recommended to me a couple weeks ago. What was it? That product, uh, Calm. Uh-huh. So what it's basically just like magnesium, right? It is, yeah. You just have to make sure you brush your teeth after after taking it because it will... It'll <clears throat> take Eat, the enamel off. Eats the enamel off your teeth. Yeah, I uh, I basically I've been taking some like melatonin to help myself sleep. Um, just having some really weird sleep patterns. And Josh recommended this uh, product called Calm that you just take a couple teaspoons, put it in a uh, glass of warm water uh, before you go to bed, and then Did like you, Josh you, said, you made, brush your teeth afterwards. Was you I? made the mistake of drinking it before it settles in. No, you warned me about how yeah. bad of the burps you get if you, yeah, if you don't like let you it dissolve. Yeah, it's like this weird, dissolve. gassy, like it just expands your stomach and you feel like you have this distended belly or something. But No, I've not made that mistake yet, but it's helped a lot, man. Like totally, I don't know if it's placebo, or even if it is placebo, like I will take it. I don't think it is. I mean, there's a lot of science behind magnesium help, helping you sleep and also uh, L-tryptophan, which uh, I, I take something called New Mood occasionally. My partner, Becca, she does Calm. She does New Mood. She does an eye mask and does uh, these really great ear earplugs called mm. Earpiece. Uh, like peace as in peace, man. <laughs> yeah. Clever. Um, you know, and it's not like this magic. Like Calm is not this magic product where like I'll, I don't take it and then like instantly feel tired. I think what it helps me do is it actually helps me stay asleep. Because what I because when I was taking the melatonin, like melatonin does right away make me tired. Yeah. But then as soon as it would wear off at you know two or three o'clock in the morning, that's about when I would get up. Is like between two and three a.m. And now uh, I'm getting up naturally at about like six six or seven o'clock. And you want to cycle off of melatonin? I, I take melatonin occasionally. I'll probably take it. 
I don't know, maybe six or seven times a, a month, but I, I cycle off of it because you want your body to be able to continue to produce its own melatonin. And, and so I, I find that I make sure that if I'm taking any of these things, I will cycle off of them, even if it's calm or, or whatever else, so that I don't become dependent on, on, the, melatonin. On, yeah, on, on the magnesium, melatonin, whatever else. I don't want to become completely dependent on it. Because what happens if I don't have it? If I'm traveling and I don't have it with me, I still want to be able to, to sleep effectively. So, um, yeah, those are our recommendations for the day. Let's move on to right here, right now. This is where we get to talk about what's going on in the lives of the minimalists. I'll, I'll start with a, a very personal note. Uh, thank you for everyone who has expressed concern about my health. Uh, I'll tell you a few things. One is I am feeling appreciably better. I've had three things going on. You can go back and listen to our Away episode. I think it was episode number 30 where we took a break from the podcast. And, and the reason being is I'm really staying focused on my health. Ryan, I opened up my Delta app recently. It's the first time in over a year where it said, you have no flight scheduled. Oh, and yeah. I felt this full body sigh. I was just like, <sighs> like, talk about calm. That was real calm for me. It's not that I, I don't want to travel in the future. It's just like we, we had been traveling so much here and there. And then we went on tour. And then we were doing a bit more travel and did some media stuff. And, and a lot of that took its toll on me. So I have three health issues I'm working through right now. So I have... Uh, my back issues, I broke my back 22 years ago at age 13. I still have a, a broken L5 vertebrae. It's a hairline fracture. And I have a lot of uh, nerve pain. Well, the good news is I've been doing something called egoscue therapy, thanks to some of our, our readers earlier in the year recommended that to me. I've also been doing some PRI uh, yoga, which a friend of ours locally recommended. So I'm doing that a few times a week. I'll put a link to that, the video in, in the show notes for this, it's, I mean, it's yoga sort of in quotes. It's just movement practice. And uh, then I'm also doing uh, some regular physical therapy every day. So I spend roughly three hours, sometimes four hours a, a day. I've also been doing the sauna four or five days a week. There's a lot of science. Hopefully I can get this over to Sean in time. Uh, Rhonda Patrick did a podcast on the benefits of sauna use and she goes through all the studies on on saunas and how it helps stimulate your human growth hormone which is helping me uh, really repair my 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 musculature i'm having issues with with my continued issues with my back because i'm also having issues with my gut microbiome so that's the second issue i've been having i've been working with a a whole team uh, a guy named uh, christopher kelly and uh, dr tommy woods uh, you can find them over at nourishbalancethrive.com. They have done a whole battery of tests with me, everything from stool samples to urine to blood and saliva and, and doing all of these different tests to understand where I'm deficient um, and, and, and learning a lot more about my body composition, also my gut composition specifically and what's going on there. I have something called C. diff, which is a really big deal. It kills 14,000 people a year in the United States. And, and uh, so uh, thankfully mine isn't as bad as, as many people who suffer you know, horribly from it, but I still have uh, s- significant issues with it. Now we are working through those issues. I'm going through a lot of supplementation and, and uh, prebiotics, probiotics, and, and a lot of things that this, this team over at Nourish Balance Thrive, and that this is not, I pay them every month. This is not me giving some sort of sponsorship to them or anything. I, I, I literally pay them to help me through these, through these health issues. And uh, they have been helping me so far. I've made some serious improvements. I still have a long way to go. 
and it's leading me to the third thing. I have something called MCS, which is multiple chemical sensitivities. And I know I mentioned that just very briefly on another podcast, and I got a slew of people who, who are, have been asking and saying, Joshua, a lot of, there are millions of people who are suffering with MCS. So if I walk somewhere, I had to move recently. Um, thankfully, you know, Ryan was able to take over my, my lease of my old apartment. We kind of swapped. And um, I, it was a relatively new place. And even though it was a green building, I was very sensitive to the sort of potpourri of, of new chemicals that were in there, paints and, and floor finishes. And I find that when I go to different places, I am I'm allergic, in quotes, to, to different, to different uh, uh, aromas, mm. scents that are going on. I, I walked into Best Buy a few months ago to get a cable for something, and I had to walk out immediately. It was just that overpowering. Wow. Now, a lot of that has to do, it's all tied back to my gut microbiome, we think. So my back isn't healing as fast as it should be. Uh, my musculature is in my nerve pain because I'm not producing, my hor- hormones are messed up because of my gut. So I'm not producing enough growth hormone and other hormones are out of whack, which is, is, is keeping me from healing as quickly as I can. Again, I'm progressing slowly. But then it's also, you know, my cup is sort of full. Most of us can handle our everyday chemicals that are around us because we have an immune system to deal with those things. But if my cup is full because my gut biome is screwed up, then any new uh, uh, allergen or irritant, rather, any new irritant is overflowing that cup. And so I experience that whenever there are, are chemicals around. And so I'm dealing with that. Um, the best thing i found with the multiple chemical sensitivities right now is to just eliminate as many chemicals as I can. I use all natural products. Uh, I, 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 I'm no longer using any, any chemicals in my house to clean anything or to wash my body. I, I make sure that I'm, I'm doing the sauna to get rid of all of these toxins and washing off right away. I do cold showers right after the sauna, which is amazing for, for my mood too. Uh, so I found that there are ways to really to combat the chemical sensitivity, but it's really by removing myself from the situation so I can get better. I think once I fix my gut, I don't know for sure, but once I fix my, my gut, everything else will continue to improve. But thank you for all of your, your, your concern. I am getting better and I will continue to get better. I'm very focused on, on improving my health. Now, Ryan, you've been, uh, you've been traveling recently. Yes. No, we, uh, I, I got an offer to talk at this event in Ireland, Leitrim, Ireland. If anyone knows where that's at, it's like uh, it's in Northern Ireland. I'm not talking about the country, uh, Northern Ireland. I'm talking about Northern in the country of Ireland. Yeah, the Republic of Ireland. <laughs> yes. Uh, but it was called Cloud Nine. Um, this guy uh, uh, named Breffney Earley put it on. He won this race around the world. It was crazy. He's. It's nuts. Like he rode his whole bike around the entire globe. It's freaking crazy. And and like entered this race and won. Um, Just a very inspiring guy. And I met him at uh, a little conference called Misfits. You guys might have heard us talk about that before. But essentially, he wrote me an email. I was like, hey, man, I'd love for you to come out and speak at this conference I'm putting on. Uh, I'll pay for your plane ticket. I was like, yeah, I would love to come out to Ireland. I freaking love Ireland. Ireland's awesome. But I didn't want to just, you know, stay out there for just a few days. Um, I felt like the last time we went on our our tour and I got the chance to be in Ireland and in the UK. It just like went by way too quick. And, uh, I really wanted to have some time to kind of explore Europe. So Mariah and I, uh, I guess for the first week of our month long tour of Europe, uh, was, you know, kind of working at this conference. Um, it wasn't really work though. Cause like it was just 
it was just an awesome time. Yeah. Um, I had to give a talk and do a screening of the documentary, which you know, which was nothing. Um, but uh, but yeah, we went on from Ireland to God. Where do we go? We went to we went to Paris to meet up with her sister for a few days. Then we went to Malta, which I didn't even hear. I've never even heard of Malta until I was googling. It's an island, right? Yeah, it's like it's uh, just south of Sicily. Um, you might see the name Malta on a map, but like the island's so small, like you'd have to zoom in on it to see the island. Yeah. Um, but I, I was just Googling where are the warmest places to go in September? Cause like Mariah, like she's, you know, uh, I guess, what is it? Cold blooded. If she really likes hot weather anyway, she really likes hot weather. So I was like trying to find the warmest place for us to go to. And Malta came up. I'm like, where the hell is Malta? Mm. So I started like researching it, but come to find out like Malta is this awesome place, like a ton of history. Um, it's a fortified city. Like they, it, everything is like stone and it's just massive and it's awesome. And then on top of it, they have these ruins there that are uh, anywhere from like 3,500 to I think like 5,000 BC. So it was really cool to like go around and see like some of these old, I mean, they weren't really impressive. Um, you know, it wasn't like Stonehenge or the pyramids. It was just more like, you know, these villages that, you know, made, made these rooms out of big pieces of rock, which is really, you know, really cool. Um, but it was just awesome to see, to see history that old. And then from, yeah, Mal- was there a McDonald's there? <laughs> God, dude, so many McDonald's. <laughs> McDonald's is everywhere. That's one thing on our trip, man. Everywhere we went, we saw McDonald's. Really? We didn't eat there once though. Yeah. Well, I've never been to uh, like mainland Europe. I've just been to the UK and Ireland. Yeah. We went to, um, let's see from Malta. We went to Croatia. Croatia is awesome. And we went to this place called Zadar, and it's basically like uh, it's like Florida kind. Of. I mean, it's just warm, you know, a little bit humid. A ton of mosquitoes there, but uh, beautiful on the Mediterranean Ocean. Awesome people, super affordable. Um, we stayed, so there were five of us. We met up with some friends um, that that I had met in Missoula, and uh, they just had you know that happened to be in Europe at the same time. So we decided to meet up in Croatia to kind of you know make make something of it. So there were five of us. We hung out for five days, food, rental car, Airbnb, everything together. I think we spent like 60 bucks a person. Hmm. It was unbelievable. Like it wow. was just unbelievably affordable. So, um, yeah, if you're looking for like a cheap place to go, the ticket there probably is going to cost you a little bit. But if you get to mm. Croatia, it's very, very affordable to kind of hang around. Like, do we had a car around for five days. I think it cost us like 60 bucks. It was nuts. <laughs> um, and then from Malta, we went to Venice. Venice was pretty cool. You mean from Croatia you went to Venice? What did I say, Malta? Yeah. Yeah, from Croatia we went to Venice. And uh, that was awesome. It was was, uh, a little touristy for my taste. We did not do the gondola ride because it was like 100 euro to ride in a boat on the canals. And it was just like, you know, it just wasn't really our thing. Plus, Mar gets seasick really easily. Yeah. So uh, we didn't end up doing that. But, you know, it was cool for three or four days to go there and eat. I don't even know how many pieces of lasagna (laughs) – I had when I was in Venice, but it was really, really good. But the most amazing part, I think, about that whole travel, um, it was just seeing the different cultures and seeing how people reacted to Americans. I'll tell you, everyone wants to know who you're voting for. Mm. And they and they don't posit it or who are you voting for? They ask you, are you voting for Trump? Are you voting for Trump? Like, that's what every that's what every foreigner asks it, me. It's become a reality TV show. It's nuts, man. I can't wait for the season finale. Of America. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad I'm back. I'm glad we're, uh, we're back at it with the podcasts. And I am, I am happy to, to uh, not be on 
holiday anymore. It's funny. You're going to be snowboarding pretty soon, right? Yeah. I don't know if the weather's cold enough yet. But. Yeah, no, definitely, man. No, it's funny how you take a month vacation and it sounds really awesome. And it was really awesome. But God, man, like I, I, I'm so happy to be back yeah. at home. I'm so happy to like be back working on, on stuff and, and, and like I said, doing the podcast. And yeah, snowboarding is coming up. We're supposed to have an awesome, awesome snowy season mm. this winter. Um, but I yeah, to, I can't I hope to be down in Florida for that. I can't stink and wait, man. Oh my goodness. It's going to be so much fun. Well, uh, a couple other things that are going on, uh, as, as I alluded to earlier, our film, Minimalism, a documentary about the important things is now available on iTunes, Amazon, Google play, Vimeo, and even on DVD. You can watch the trailer and find your preferred platform over at minimalismfilm.com. Uh, by the way, if you get the DVD, Make sure you pass it on to someone else. No need to hold on to it afterward. I hear a used version of Minimalism on DVD makes a great stocking stuffer this holiday season, but only if it's a used version. Also, um, our, our most recent book, Essential, which came out last year, it's a 150 essays, uh, about 12 different topics. It is now available as a brand new, updated, six-hour six hour audiobook read by our talented narrator, Justin Mollick, he runs a great uh, podcast called Optimal Living Daily, and he reads some of our essays over there sometimes. Uh, but you can find the audiobook and all six hours of that over on Audible or iTunes or on Amazon. You can even listen to a, a, a sample of the book on any of those platforms. Also, Ryan and I are, are contributing again to something called a, a Simple Year. So a few years ago, Ryan and I uh, contributed to this 12-month Simple Living course. It's called A Simple Year. It's hosted by our friend Courtney Carver, the founder of Project 333. And, man, it was awesome. And now after taking a few years hiatus off of that, so we said no to it for a few years, and now we, we figured out we could say yes to it once again. Uh, the minimalists are once again participating in a simple year, along with a stable of other simplicity experts who specialize in areas such as decluttering and travel and diet and food and money and relationships and work. And you know what? We would love to see you there. Uh, you can find the course syllabus and read answers to frequently asked questions and even become a simple year member over at our website. If you go to theminimalists.com slash 12, that's the, the number 12 all spelled out, T-W-E-L-V-E, which is short for 12 months of guided simplicity. So theminimalists.com slash 12, you can find the syllabus and, and all other details there. Uh, registration opened for that on October 11th, so about a month ago, and it ends this week. Uh, November 13th is the last day you can register for that if you're interested. Uh, of course, I just want to put a caveat out there. Ryan and I will be the first to tell you that you don't necessarily need a special course or a book or a blog to simplify your life. But if you do feel like you could use a little or a lot of help clearing the excess from your life, then we hope you can find some value in these 12 months of guided simplicity. Oh, and lastly, um, we're getting ready to publish a few holiday essays and gift-giving essays in the coming weeks at our website, and we're also going to post a, a photo tour of both of our minimalist homes before the end of the year. So if you want to receive those essays and, and photo tours, then just sign up for the free emails that we have over at theminimalists.com. It's at the, the box there at the top. There will never be a pop-up ad, 
but it's right there at the top if you just want to enter your email address. And of course, all of our new essays will be sent to your inbox. No spam ever because spam is yucky. You know, I don't even think you could like do a pop-up ironically and make it okay. It would still be annoying as hell. Yeah, yeah. I, in fact, you know, I, I, I saw a pop-up recently. It, it drove me more crazy than the rest because it said, we know pop-ups are annoying. It was the first thing that it said. <laughs> hey, I know I'm being annoying, but I'm going to keep tapping you on the nose. Good God. Uh, yeah, That's it was hilarious. just bad. That's hilarious. All right, finally, here are some voicemail comments and tips from our listeners. Hi, my name is Lisa Benson, and I'm calling from Waltham, Mass. I've been thinking a lot about souvenirs when you go on a trip. Lately, or recently, our 10-year-old niece came up to visit us, and she bought something small for every family member to show that she was thinking of them when she was visiting and traveling. Um, But I'm thinking of a different way that you could show that to a friend or family member without having to buy them something, which is uh, they give you something small to take with you, maybe it's a drawing or a treasured object or whatever, and uh, you take a picture of that that object at uh, some landmark or special place or moment, and you share that photo with them, so it's like a piece of them was with you on the trip. Hi, minimalists. This is Jesse calling from Oakland, California, and I wanted to uh, report on an instance of how uh, the lessons I've gleaned from your podcast have sort of brought me joy in an unexpected way. Um, I had listened to um, one of them about something where you said a six-month rule about if you haven't used something in six months, either get rid of it or if you think you might use it again, to get another six months. And then if you didn't get rid of it then, to find some way to get rid of it, either sell it or donate it or just give it away. But I had, excuse me, I had an electric keyboard that I was looking at selling and all I saw were dollar signs of trying to break even with it. Um, I wasn't using it. Um, I was playing other instruments more and I ended up selling it to a guy who had a wife and kids, was really good at piano, but I guess could never quite get the money to buy one or one as nice as the one I had. And when he saw it on Craigslist, uh, immediately jumped on it and was really stoked on it when he came over to check it out. And I didn't realize that getting rid of something I wasn't using could help someone. And he eventually, uh, I think, had a church gig or something. And so he was going over there. Not only did I declutter my uh, living space and mind, but also helped another person out who's going to put that item to good use. Hello, The Minimalist. First, I'd like to thank you for everything that you do. Because of your podcast, it has changed my life in many, many ways, and I can count. And I just want to say thank you. And one of the ways it tells me is uh, I have the opportunity to move this month. But when I discovered you back in the end of December, I think just before your podcast started, I decided I would start to declutter my life. And I started with a closet, uh, a car, or 
something small, but every weekend I did something and I donated carloads and carloads to Goodwill, to friends, and recycled what I could. And in that, I discovered that what really mattered was my relationship, was my happiness. And I discovered I was in a very unhappy relationship and I addressed it. And now we live apart and we're friends and it's all for the better. And I'm on my journey to rediscovering myself, what's important to me, my friendships, my relationships, my hobbies, my health, and I'm happier. It's not an easy journey, but it's a happier journey. And happiness takes work. And this lifestyle helps me really focus on what's really important and what matters. And what matters is all within us. All right, y'all. Welcome back to podcasting. That is it for this episode. If y'all have a question for The Minimalists, give us a call, 406-219-7839, especially if you have gift-giving or holiday questions. Those are coming up real soon. And if you leave here with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have you gotta reach for and you gotta grab Oh, I bet that you'll be fine without it So tear your eyes away Or tear